0: This is the Thirst Time presented by Trap Brewing.
1: I think the beer industry in terms of quality has way further in the last five years than like I even imagined myself. So, um, and I think like a lot of people are using liquid yeast, dried yeast, they're using different strains. Like people are demanding new strains, like be it from us or be it from our competitors. Um I just think it's, it's a great time. Like, yeah, it's a great time to be making beer.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. So, today's episode, we continue a little mini series that I started long, long, long ago, where we explore the main ingredients that go into beer. Now, for those that may have listened to ones way back, we did one with Zach and Gabby from Crosby Hops, All About Hops. And it was really cool to just get a little bit more of an insight and feel for what goes in further up the supply chain, in the work that goes into producing hops and also what hops are and what they do in beer. So today's episode, we are exploring yeast. Yes, this is a big conversation with Philip Woodnut from WHC Labs. He was over with us to do a collaboration. And I thought it would be a good time to have a could. <laughs> I don't know. An hour didn't feel like enough time. In fact, it didn't even feel like we were scratching the surface on what is a pretty intense ingredient it, there's a lot going on with yeast and a lot that can go on with yeast but we tried our best and i hope that it sheds some light on some things that maybe you didn't know or some trends that you might see coming up uh, a big thanks to philip for for doing this on the spot with me so yeah let's get into it you are listening to track brewing co presents the first time and this is our interview with philip with Now, I've done a series of, well, I say a series, I've done one episode <laughs> so far, <laughs> but on like the main ingredients that go into beer, um, just to kind of give a real overview to drinkers uh, and maybe an appreciation of the work that goes on further up the chain to try and produce the best products for beer. You obviously work with spirits as well, but let's start on the really simplest form. What is yeast? What is yeast?
1: Well, yeast is a microorganism that converts amongst other things is when it comes to beer, it converts sugar to alcohol. Yeah. So, without yeast, you have no al- you have no beer, you have no spirits, you have nothing. So, uh, in the beer world, um yeast its most important function is basically to ferment the sugary wort to the finished beer and it produces CO two and alcohol, and the reason why beer is so popular is because it's got lots of alcohol, so <laughs> it's a really important thing. Um, so yeah, we've been working. We work in the beer industry, we work in the wine industry, we work in the spirits industry. Uh, we work with a lot of craft brewers in the UK, uh, work all over Europe, actually. In fact, and we've been uh, we sell dried and liquid yeast products that basically suit the flavor profiles that our breweries are are looking for so we have the widest range of brewery products on the market so we have about for the brewing industry we have mainstay strains we have about 25 different strains wow but uh in our yeast bank i think we must be over a thousand at this stage so like we can grow up anything we're doing a, a project with ucd they found um I don't know like if people had seen it. I don't know if it, like people in the real world outside of yeast <laughs> have seen it. Uh, but they found in Dublin, in one of the colleges in Dublin, they found uh, it's like the ancestor of the larger yeast. Wow. So, so uh, it's the first time it's ever been found in Europe. They'd, I think they'd only found it in South America or Asia or something like and that. And when
0: you say found, do you mean that the actual organism was found or just the idea of what it? Is so, they cool. actually found it, like found the organism. So, it was actually a student
1: that found it. So, they go out. Uh, I actually did microbiology back in the day in UCD, weirdly enough, but, uh, uh, they have like a class project where people go out and they get like, they're called like agar plates. People have probably seen them online. Yeah. And, uh, they go out like streaking, like not, not like students going streaking, <laughs> like, but, uh, like nudity or whatever. <laughs> But uh, you go out and you're trying to find and isolate different organisms. So, like, you might like uh, uh, you might find different bacteria, yeast, and it's basically you go out and you're like you go out with a swab, a sterile swab. You might look like a great place to look for yeast would be like uh, in the spring when there's like um, you know uh, flowers, flowering that yep. sort of thing. You know, like where bees have been that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, so they went and it was. They went and they found this larger strain in this random college and then they've sequenced it. And then, going a little bit off topic, but no, from the initial great. question. This is, but, this is, yeah, no. um, so yeah, they basically, they found this strain and they're going to send it to us. And we're going to basically say, like we have loads of breweries interested now because they like the story, right? Yeah. But nobody's kind of really stopped and thinking and be like, will this actually produce good beer or is it going to be like real bad? Uh, so we're, we're maybe by the time this is released, we might have more
0: information. Oh, that's but, um, really exciting.
1: Yeah, no, we're going to see. Because like it might not taste like a lager. It, like a lot of wild yeast tends to actually taste quite phenolic. So it'd be quite Belgian style. So, uh, and it also might not, there's different sugars and wort. So like uh, glucose, sucrose, fructose, maltose, maltotriose. Like, just because it's an ancestor of lager strain doesn't mean that it'll actually ferment. It might ferment the glucose and fructose, so it might be like a sticky syrupy mess that you're left with that (laughs) tastes Belgian, so it's not really like a lager at all. But um, yeah, so most most of the time, we're not doing that unique projects, but we're always on the lookout for new yeast strains that... um, you know could be used for brewing distilling that sort of thing like what might work for brewing might not work for distilling but we brought to market like a load of different new strains recently um that you guys have been trialing mm-hmm. you've been using we were over here using like uh, it's a new yeast that we developed that produces that uh we call it theolized yeast and um, so this yeast strain in particular produces uh an enzyme that most brewing yeast doesn't produce and this uh Enzyme beta um it basically uh, breaks down these bound thiols into thiols that people can taste. Yeah. Um, so the idea, the idea behind it is that when people use hops in beer, right? So you use very like flavoursome hops, like that. You know, it's it's where like the fruity flavour is coming from in beer. So then when we, um, so then when the, you know, you have your actively flavored compounds when you guys hop the beer, then it releases the flavors into the beers. But there's also a lot of compounds there that they're bound. So they're not actually, they're there and they're flavorsome, but because they're combined to something or stuck to something, then you don't really get the, the flavor never really comes out. So the idea with this yeast that we're doing today is that we've we've added precursors of this the, theol precursors, and we're using a different yeast than one that you would normally use, mm-hmm. and um, it's going to release new flavor compounds, that sort of thing. So, uh, and those flavor compounds generally uh, tend to be the one that I say brewers, but it's probably more so customers are looking for. So you know, like tropical fruit, yeah. guava, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're trying out some new techniques here today to uh, try and add as much TL precursors. Like we didn't make it in because we arrived late, but you guys are,
0: <laughs> brewers always get well, up early. Uh, it's, it's something we've been playing around with a little bit and it's it, it's a super exciting part of the industry, which is just this innovation that's going further up the supply chain. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I just asked you one small question there and you realize just the extent. Yeah. Of the complexity yeah. of this one ingredient and what it can bring to beer. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. So when I first kind of, if I jump back into my own stories, you know, wait, the first thing that a lot of people, customers understand is hops. It's a very simple kind of yeah. format. It's this green plant. It goes in, it's got fragrance to it, yeah. you know, and each one's got a slight different fragrance and that brings a different, and it's quite a simple way. And, and then as I got, more into beer and started working, obviously, in the trade. It was like, well, malt's really interesting. Like, yeah. what that brings to the beer. Then yeah. I kind of just totally lost myself to yeast because, and I mean, I'm not a brewer, so not in the science way, but just the flavor profile. It was clear to me when we were a young brewery and we were brewing, producing, like, IPAs and stuff, but we had flat-bottom pr- fl- ferment fermenters and we were only able to use dried yeast. And the market was... I wanna say it was pretty small back then. Like most people were just using US 05 or 04. Yeah. yeah. Now you'll be able to maybe educate me there because there's obviously many, many yeast formats, but in the New England kind of style, it felt like yeah. there wasn't much on offer. Maybe at that time for dried yeast ends, I, I could be wrong, it's like eight years ago or something now. But started trying these other beers and New England IPAs kind of being at the heart of it where it was like yeast expression. Yeah, with everything.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, look, it, the way innovation is usually driven is that it's driven by the market. So, you know, like there's been a heavily, you guys probably know more <laughs> than most breweries that uh, a lot of the market in the last few years going towards IPAs, yeah. double IPAs, pale ales. So a lot of the, in, uh, the innovation is going towards that. And it's basically been driven like you said, back in the day, everybody would be just using USO5, yeah. SO4. So like the range of yeast on the market was very low. Like usually the liquid yeast would tend to be seen as more expensive, but then have a wider range, but it wasn't really that accessible as it is now. So in terms of dried yeast, yeah, you'd have your USO5, which the idea would be it provides like, and there's nothing wrong with you, Sophia. No, like, it's, no. it's actually, it's, a, it's almost neutral. Yeah, in it's of. neutral, it's clean. It kind of, and the idea was people were doing, it was cheerful, cheap and cheerful, you know, it was providing like a clean base. And then your hops are the things that do the work. Yeah. But now, now there's new strains and people are looking more not. Ingredients to play with other ingredient types. So it's not like, oh, I have this malt, I have this hops, and I mm-hmm. have this yeast. They're looking at it now and be like, well, we're making this New England IPA and we want like grapefruit from the hops, but we also can get like uh, tangerine from the yeast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the different tropical fruits, different flavors, they interact well with each other. Like there's a lot more to it than that. So like we been going towards yeast strains that are have a tendency to uh, you get a lot of biotransformation. So it means if you guys are using a lot of hops, like in a lot of New England, in new, not New England, uh, New World hops, that the yeast is actually playing with the hops to bring out more flavor. So you get a more like complex style flavor from it. And, and it's I th- not
0: just necessarily flavor. It's like the aesthetic as well, exactly, especially in like yeah. ha- hazy bees. It's like... Yeah, healthy yeast and wet pitch yeast. Yeah, you know, because I take photos of all these yeah. beers all the time, so I noticed like slime. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you know, when you get wet pitch yeast and it's healthy fermentation, and if you throw in some New World hops, yeah, you can get this kind of milky, yeah, you know, beautiful kind of yellowness that you you don't get otherwise. Yeah, and the the head retention—it's yeah. really you know—so
1: you get the the head sticking to the side of the glass. Yeah. So you know, it's like picture-perfect orange juice with head on it. And uh, yeah, so like you find like different yeast strains have like, back in the day, everything was just like, okay, what's the alcohol tolerance? What's the attenuation? Whereas now it's like listed by uh, what's the haze, you know, like when I started this industry, it was like, what strains could I use to make sure I get a crystal clear beer? And now it's like, uh, <laughs> if, I, if I sell people yeast, then it like the beer drops clear, I'm like uh, killed basically. So yeah. Uh, yeah, no, the industry's changed a little, but the, that's part of the thing to like grow with the industry and see what demands people have. So yeah, there's certain strains that have better stability for the haze uh, better interaction, so like I think people whereas before with the haze people were looking more at like the grist like the makeup like do we have the oats Oaks, do we yeah. have the wheat in it and stuff like that but there's a there's a lot more like beer despite it being only four ingredients is <laughs> a very scientific process so um and yeast is just one of those factors like you even mentioned the malt like I was probably the same I always looked at malt as the the least interest. I have mm-hmm. loads of friends that are maltsters as well. So they'll probably end up killing me if they hear this thing. But uh, yeah, th- I always thought that was like the least interesting ingredient. But like now, um, they're releasing like malt that's like made with cinnamon in the kernel and this kind of thing. Like it's meant to make like gingerbread beer and like look at the smoked malts. Like no matter what yeast strain I give people, like if you use smoked malt, enough of it, like it's going to completely overtake the yeah. flavor of beer. So I think it's a really, really good time for the beer industry that um, the innovation seems to be very at its highest. Like we're um, we're doing a new selection process for new. Like even though we have the largest range, I think in the world at this point, the, uh, between our dried and liquid options, like we're looking at new strains all the time. Like we're looking at new yeast strains for the distilling industry and the brewing industry. So we're doing a new trial with 65 new strains and then mm. uh, we're basically going to try them in batches see what works and then we're going to invite some breweries to try out different strains uh invite distilleries and i think the great thing about it is it's very collaborative yeah whereas back in the day you know it was very i if i was selling you guys yeast i'd turn up and it'd be like i can get you this for this price and i can yeah. get you that from this price whereas now it's innovation driven. it's innovation it's like well what are you what do you want what do you want to see um like matt who works here was like on to me about the TIEs before we even brought it to market like mm-hmm. saying when we're coming out with something like uh so I think I think it's really at the moment there's a lot of people that are like forcing innovation which is the best thing because like I think the beer industry in terms of quality has came way further in the last five years that, like, I even imagined myself. So, yeah. um, and I think, like, a lot of people are using liquid yeast, dry yeast, they're using different strains. Like, people are demanding new strains, like, be it from us or be it from our competitors. Um, I just think it's it's a great time. Like, uh, it's a great time to be making beer.
0: I've talked to hop suppliers and it's, it's incredible, this kind of feedback, this, this... Synergy or symbiosis of yeah. just like um, you know, we're producing it, but the other people want to uh, make their products better and feed back into that loop. And you know, you were saying about how many different yeast strains you're using, and then hop suppliers are growing about five thousand different kinds of hops to try and get to market, and it's, yeah. it's super exciting. And I guess yeah. you know, like, and that's the consumer driving the brewery that's driving the yeah the innovation, and and you know, it's it's a really beautiful relationship. Yeah. Now, it is kind of interesting though, because like a lot of the yeasts that we're talking about in, again, sorry, use, keep using this phrase, but like New England IPAs, for instance, yeah, like yeah. LA three, these are traditional yeah. Yeah. ale yeasts that have found, been repurposed almost, yeah, to produce a different. So, what happened there? What was that kind of, what were people realizing or seeing that that changed the game? Would you say? I would say that,
1: and I'm not a historian, so (laughs) I would say back in the day that you didn't have that sort of innovation. So like, if you think about it, um, hops that we know it, like your citrus, your mosaics, they didn't exist. So like a lot of the flavor that was coming from the beer might, and probably the malting wasn't as good and that sort of, you know, like, so the ingredients would have been inferior at the time, whereas a lot of the yeast... So if you think about it, like a lot of the... We were thinking about New England IPA or West Coast IPA or something like that. A lot of the flavors would be led by the hops, right? Mm-hmm. And yet the yeast does have interactions, become more and more. But back in the day, a lot of the flavor would come from the yeast because you didn't have your big citrus and mosaics and stuff like that. So um, like brewers are totally into yeast now, but... I think back in the day, they were a lot more into their yeast because, you know, you have like uh, different strains were shared by different breweries. Like, uh, you know, one brewery might have a really good strain and then their friend down the road might have took another, their strain mm-hmm. and they would start using it. And then you would have got some hybridization. You would have got some, um, you know, like say if you were using two strains and then you might get some flavor interactions there. You got one that was dominant, like multi-strain. So I think, I think, and this is only my opinion, that yeast was like one of the main drivers of the beer back in the day. And that's, it was, the yeast strains were way more precious then, mm. like, you know, like they, they'd be reusing the yeast a lot of times, you know, and a lot of the times that these yeasts didn't get dumped when they, like the London Three you mentioned there, that brewery went to the wall. So, like, but somebody taught, somebody had basically taught that the yeast was so good that it shouldn't go with the brewery. So, like, and that, you know, so um, what you find is if you're looking for a yeast strain for like an IPA or a New England IPA, you're looking for something that's quite, you know, like quite fruity, which mm-hmm. tends to be like top cropping yeast strains. So, uh, in a way, a lot of the yeast research had been done. In the past. So it was basically just bringing these yeast strains back to market. Uh, we do work with the uh the Kvike strains, like we do sell a lot of them. We have true dried, two dried versions, we have six liquid versions, and we have like 10 other strains in, in the bank. And like they're old Norwegian farmhouse yeast strains, and like they've only kind of been rediscovered in the last few years. People have done really good work on them and they're basically all been found to be like producing super, super crazy, fruity flavors, yeah. fast fermentations, hot temperatures and stuff like that. And these are all taken from farms. So um, go,
0: let's put a pin in that because I want to... So we, when I asked you what yeast was, and then we started talking about like microflora and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So yeast is and can be cropped from pretty much anywhere in any any form. But obviously the yeast wants to be used for like brewing is you would take from like organic matter. Like, I mean, it's, it blew my mind just to think of it, how prevalent it is Yeah, in our lives. Well, like a lot of yeast, a lot of yeast, beer yeast strains
1: could have been taken from say bread yeast. Yeah. Whereas like somebody that was making, like obviously people don't do home baking as much anymore because you can go get like a loaf of bread for, I don't know what the going rate is, like 50 cents (laughs) or something like that now. But back in the day, a lot of people would use bread yeast and uh, then they might make themselves a beer with the bread yeast and then they might have, you know, yeast becomes more domesticated over time. Like it's uh, always um, growing, evolving, that sort of thing. So like maybe the first time you made the beer with the bread yeast uh, it was very phenolic, didn't really ferment much, but hey, you drank it anyway and you use it again. And it can have a tendency to move towards the um, the media that you're growing it in, yeah. so like it kind of became more suit. So, you by using it in the bread, it became more suited
0: towards being the bread, it be, be- going yeah. from a bread yeast to a beer yeast, um, so but like. Let's focus on kvike then, because that okay, yeah, because that, that's a perfect example of it.
1: That's a perfect example, yeah. So they, they, that now I' not a hundred percent sure, but a lot of that was used for bread in people's yeah. houses, and those strains started being used in beer, and there was a lot of sharing of different strains. And um, there's a guy that's basically written a book about it, and uh, people can do more reading on it. But there was a lot of sharing between different regions, but like a lot of that would have came from bread. But like uh, I've tasted uh, beer made with bread yeast and it's really bad. Whereas <laughs> this uh, kawaii yeast is really, really good. So, so is that from just down me- to the
0: place and it- just something different happening over there? I think they were just
1: using, um, they weren't boiling the wort. Um, so that can help with like the protein interactions. But I also think that a lot of it they were... The kvike is interesting because it's it's a lot of warm temperature fermentation. So like a lot of brewers yeast uh, you see fermentation profiles of like between 18 and C, maybe 26 C but kvike yeast is about 30 to 40 yeah, degrees. It's wild. wild temperatures like we've we've done beers with breweries and like they've because it's so foreign to them about uh, setting the temperatures that the tanks are like 40 degrees that they've basically forgotten to put the temperature and It's gone up to like 44 C. So it's like, I don't know, like hot tub temperature. (laughs) Hotter than hot tub temperature. Yeast is still grand. Beer is finished the next day. Um, But that was just because it's like they were using this bread yeast. They're using it, fermenting it at warm temperatures. They, you know, like if there was a load of yeast strains going, you know yourself, you like fruity fruity beers that Mm -hmm. sort of thing so like say if i had my yeast strain you had your yeast strain and then you were saying to me how good your yeast strain is then i would take it so then we both have the same yeast strain but we're growing it in different beers different environments so then my one might have adapted that it's more of like an apple-y flavor while your one's more of a tangerine flavor Mm -hmm. so and uh what you find is there's little bit i think a lot of those strains that they found they weren't like one single culture they were like multicultures. um so they've done a lot of work with like isolating them and stuff like that and uh yeah they've all been I don't know how many have been found at this stage but like a lot of them have really good brewing potential like um we sell we sell we sell yeast to like say like what's a really good example of where that kvike would be so We sell to like, it's a brewery in a ski resort, right? So they have like very quiet um, shoulder periods that they would say, But then during the summer and the winter, it's insanely busy, tourists everywhere, right? So they basically, their needs of the brewery is they would like to have loads of beer, but loads of beer at the same time. So then, but they're only a small brewery, they're in a really touristy area where like they don't have much space. So like, then they started using this Kvike yeast for their IPAs, and then they were using a different strain for their lagers. They're producing, out of the same equipment, they're producing three times as much beer, uh, which works really well for them, and, but without uh drop in quality. Yeah. So that's kind of, if you're running a brewery, or you're an owner of the brewery, right, and Say you wanted to expand the brewery by a factor of three times. Like you're talking huge investments, mm-hmm. huge, huge risk, labor intensive. Where do I get the money from? All that kind of stuff. Where basically they just changed the yeast that they were using and got the exact same results, basically. So, um, yeah, it's worked really well. Like there's all sorts of innovations coming. Like we, so we're looking. It's a,
0: it's, a, it's a tool for production almost. In, it's a tool for production. <laughs> Um, But but the other thing you touched on there, which the thing that really drew me and I found so fascinating is just that, you know, when you do, when a brewery really starts using their own yeast and like a wet pitch and it it begins to take on a personality, which I think is the dominant factor of that brewery. Yeah. So just to use one that I always think is like, almost like a yeast led brewery and has such a distinct character as me is Verdant, you know. They have such an intensity of flavor. Now, I'm sure, like, James is an incredible brewer, so there's all kinds of other stuff going on there. But I always found that, I was like, surely it's the yeast character that's driving this, along with everything else, I guess. It's it's a balance of...
1: Well, I don't really know individually, but, like, it's not only what strain you're using, it's, like, how you're using it. What temperature you're dry hopping with the yeast? Are you dry hopping with the yeast, without the yeast? Like, there's so many different characteristics that go into like if you dry hop with the yeast you tend to get slightly drier beers because you get a bit of hop creep but you get more biotransformation um if you're fermented higher temperature generally you'll get more yeast expression that le- uh, lower t- temperatures less yeast expression so it's kind of like it's not uh, like a cookbook where it's like strain one mm-hmm. equals uh example results like there's a lot of uh, play like water chemistry even like which we haven't even touched on as an yeah. ingredient um, has a lot of play with yeast as well uh, whatever varying degrees of hops you're using what malt you're using so like there's a huge uh, you could probably record a whole series <laughs> of like, just one
0: topping <laughs> you, know? you are listening to track brewing co presents the first time and this is our interview with philip Know. well that's um, that's it we, we, what we talked about is just that that infinite variable like yeah. you, when you introduce yeast into the mix then what you're kind of saying here is just there is so much potential for so much to happen we're only scratching the surface we haven't we haven't even talked so okay let's, this is a good point now yeast can be your friend or it can be your enemy if you don't treat it right so yeah And and interestingly, some of these off flavors may have been utilized as positives. So like if we focus on like diacetyl, for instance. So if you talk about like old cask beer, diacetyl was sometimes like a flavor that was wanted rather than not wanted. Yeah. So what's going on there? So basically, if you're getting... That sounded very like news. What's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Um
1: Uh, generating headlines yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay so like diastole basically uh, the long and short of it is it can come from two things it can come from a contamination or it can come from like improper cleanup of the yeast when the yeast has finished fermentation it basically uh, to make a really long story short it kind of cleans up itself um, and removes these pre precursors in the beer if it does not have a chance to do that or if say the yeast strain is quite unhealthy by the end of fermentation it doesn't have the time to clean up this precursor and then over time in the package the precursor uh produces um it changes it goes through some chemistry and uh it produces this like a um, it's really hard for me to say because I actually some people are immune to the taste of it or smell of it of and yeah and I don't get it so like I you never, don't get it I never got oh, it. so I used to I used to uh, run uh, like a pretty like I suppose you call it like a regional size brewery in Canada uh, I used to run the like the lab part of it and like I'd have to get people to come in because you do like a forced VDK test, it's yeah. called. But like, I can't tell the difference between. And it's, I think it's actually like a gene- genetic thing. It's not like... That's I can't, so interesting. And like, even weirdly enough, like if I'm eating like buttery popcorn, I don't taste the butter and that sort of thing, I, which is like... Is super the, the, fascinating. Everybody says the flavor, the smell is like the... Um, like it's like... The butter, you know, the fake butter on popcorn, or like you know, like that. So,
0: I'm the diacetyl sniffer dog. In you're, the, you're the king, or <laughs> well, it's just we could have made a good team yeah. back in the day because yeah. Matt, like head brewer, he's not super sensitive to it, and you do find it within the team that it's just different, yeah, there's different variables. Like, I guess I'm just terrified of it. Like, once yeah. you kind of know where it's, yeah, at and you and you, you get it, you just can't it's probably rid yourself of it.
1: If I was a brewer, it'd probably be a bad thing that I can't smell it or taste it but then as like I'm working in yeast now so I'm not like brewing anymore so like I'm a consumer so it basically means that if I get like i not a great beer <laughs> then it like it's <laughs> kind of like passes over my head but yeah the yeast can pick it up it develops in the can and then uh, say if they have beers that are like kind of more neutral or something like that then you get like a very enhanced flavor you can also get it, uh, some bacteria contaminants produce that flavor as well. So it's not just like a one, one size fits all, mm-hmm. but um, usually I'd say probably it's either uh, not great brewing practices or not great yeast health. Yeah. So usually viability is low or something like that. So, but it's something that people can do. There's like quite expensive tests for it, but there's also like really cheap, cheerful methods of like t- t- testing it in a brewery. So yeah, um, It's funny because we were in a brewery a while ago and they had the equipment for testing and it's kind of expensive. and uh, But then I was asking, though, and it's kind of maybe a little bit of a long process. I don't know. Like it might've came further since I was doing it back in the day. But then I was asking, they were like, oh, do you still do like the sensory way? It's like basically you heat up the sample for it like, and you strain out the hops or whatever. And they're like, oh, we do that anyway, because I trust that much more. And it's like, well, you know, like sometimes you're just better off. Uh, so they had the expensive
0: option, but they still stuck to the old guns. Yeah, or
1: did both. So they probably just,
0: uh, I don't know.
1: Um, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. That's usually down to East Health. Then you can get a Cetaldehyde, which is um, it's green apple flavor. Yep. Uh, I do actually get that one. I'm not totally immune to everything. And what's, like, the,
0: what's the other one, that? People describe as baby stick as well as that's the, butyric, acid. butyric acid. So yeah. that,
1: that'd be more from uh, bacteria usually, okay. it, yeah. and it's like enteric bacteria. So it's like uh, a bit more of like a dirtier uh, <laughs> contaminant. Yeah,
0: <laughs> not something you yeah. want in your. Yeah, way. yeah, um,
1: uh, no. Uh, the flavor descriptors and no beer should be like yeah, baby stick. Yeah, <laughs> Um Yeah, you see the height. It's like that green apple. Um, you see it sometimes. I got it in a couple of. Uh, or beers that might have been like packaged too early, or the yeast might not have been quite so healthy. Um, but when you say like the yeast can be your foe, um, a lot of brewery contaminants mm-hmm. are a yeast, like uh, Britannomyces. Is yeah. a, they sometimes people use it to ferment their beers. So like like everything in the craft beer industry, it's all very fluid. But uh, usually, uh, Britannomyces would be seen as contaminant in the brewery, so it would um, it would cause like off flavors. Uh, Sometimes it can, like, people describe it as, like, you know, like cat urine, like yeah. th- THC, is that yeah. or, or something like that? Um, and then you have, th- like, H- Diastaticus, which is, like, a, that's actually a Saccharomyces cervice. It's like a wilder Saccharomyces cervice strain.
0: So people um, might be aware of diastatic uh, beers. Because they explode. <laughs> like that's Yeah,
1: so, uh, well, like, everybody's <laughs> drank beers that have been fermented with diastatic yeast, like uh, a lot of Saison, Saison beers, yeah. uh, wit beers, so, like, we have uh, our, our strains. Are, we generally tend to uh, have non-diastatic strains in our core lineup because a, a lot of the way the industry's going, people don't want it in their brewery. But uh, there's uh, Hefeweizen yeast, wheat yeast on the market, Saison uh, yeast they all tend to be diastatic uh, so people have all drank beers made with diastatic yeast but um, all distillery yeast would also be diastatic
0: um, why would you so just a quick point I don't want to go spend too long but why would you have what does diastaticness bring oh, Okay. wouldn't you wouldn't like because you've got strains that don't have it in which yeah. is, to me just sounds like right I'd just go with that because I don't want to like yeah. diastatic um,
1: for a distillery or for a brewing for a brewing Okay, so for brewing, so a brewery. So say if you're making like a style like a saison, mm-hmm. part of like the like part of the beer style of a saison. Now it's probably been like changed in people's minds over the years because people would be, but it's usually quite dry, dry. Like, like very dry, like white wine kind of, you know, like flavor, taste, that sort of thing, uh, dry base. So I think the idea was like you know, like it doesn't really. Um, you keep drinking it almost Mm -hmm. you know so like part of the reason you want to dry is because that's within that beer style and it works with that so like you need a yeast that has very high attenuation so basically breaks down nearly all the sugars in the wort so it it, it, it ferments quite low which is pretty good from a calorie point of view like because (laughs) there's less sugar in it so like you could drink more beers and it wouldn't affect your waistline but from like a running and brewery point of view, so you make this beer that's super dry and it can break down like the most complex sugars in the wall wor- in the wort. So, like maltodextrin is usually kind of uh, the sugar that and maltotriose are kind of the two sugars that are left over at fermentation that gives the beer, like, excuse me, the um, the sweetness or like the body of the beer, you know. So, it's like and it kind of interacts with, like, if you've ever had a beer that's too dry, it can sometimes tend to be, like, astringent, mm-hmm. especially if it's quite dry-hopped. Um, yeah. Because it's thin, it's been dry-hopped, so it gives it that real, like, um bittery kind of astringent taste. But, like, Saison's are dry-hopped, but now people have started dry-hopping them. Yeah. If, people will dry-hop anything, basically. So um, so the Saison yeast, they were, like, the style is basically dry, right? And uh, the yeast, to get that sort of dryness, is usually high attenuation yeast. And the yeast types that do high uh, attenuation are these diastatic strains. So what they do is they are genetically predisposed to uh, extracellularly produce an enzyme that breaks down complex sugars into simple sugars. And then the yeast gobbles them up. Like if you think about it, it's it's pretty much, um, they're wild type strains. So it's like how they genetically survive. So like basically if the yeast came across uh, like a complex sugar in the wild, it would produce the enzyme, break it down, eat it, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of way. Um, And it does work very well for those breweries, but then these strains have a tendency to maybe hang around. And then, you know, if you've made a saison in the brewery and then they get into your IPA, um, over time, the yeast can produce that enzyme, right? And then within like say- within the can. It's breaking down the complex sugars within the can. Mm -hmm. Um, All of a sudden, your can of beer has gone from having loads of unfermented maltodextrin and leftover yeast within the can to having glucose within the can and loads of yeast. And yeast love glucose. They love simple sugars. So what they do is they start re-fermenting. So you get an increase in alcohol to get in trouble with revenue <laughs> uh, or whatever the, what's the, what's the equivalent
0: over here? Oh, it's trading standards. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So your beer is out of spec, tax man's not happy. And then you're also getting probably worse is uh, you're also getting uh, CO2 generation. So what happens is you get like, so like back in the day, I'm sure everybody's had like dodgy homebrew bottles mm-hmm. where uh, you open the lid and like it's like a champagne <laughs> bottle, you know, like it hits the ceiling. Or you have having cans because a lot of the industries move towards cans. You have exploding cans or like the lids come off. Um, and it can be very damaging because people have to do like recalls and text the brands and yeah. everything like that. And it's kind of something that happens often enough in the industry and they've developed new... So that's, that's where yeast can not be a good thing in yeah. the brewing industry. Yeah,
0: it's not, it's not a nice thing to deal with that kind of thing. So man, we could lose a lot of time yeah, 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 no, yeah, no, yeah. It's really exciting. There's so, so much, but today you're here because we're doing a collaboration. So I feel like we should focus on what, okay. we're, what we're actually talking about. So um, I always call it, I say thiols, but is it thiols? Is that the... I think it's whatever way, yeah. Like it's <laughs> I'll like, say it with confidence yeah, and that's yeah, the way yeah. It's yeah. So the thiolized yeast strains, the thiolized yeast strains, what are we working here with? So we, we're working with... Um, Yeast that's working alongside hops to produce esters that you might not necessarily get otherwise. Now, I'm probably so far off the mark there, so I'll, I'll let you take but over. And-
1: esters would be kind of the flavor compounds that yeast produces outside of the normal scope of fermentation. So yeah. like your CO2 and your alcohol. So like a lot of our strains, like our most popular strain, it would be saturated, which is the London Ale tree that you mentioned, uh, which would be the Boddington strain. Um so that produces esters that are, you know, like tropical fruit, mango, yeah. that that sort of thing, like nice grapefruit, that's. Yeah. Um so esters is one thing, but then thiols are actually coming, back. so that's just what the yeast is producing, its own flavor, right? Mm-hmm. But thiols, thials, thiols, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it is actually thiols. Um they are like coming from the other ingredients you know like they actually come from the malt as well Mm -hmm. and the the hops and uh yeah so basically what the yeast is doing there it's releasing the flavors of compounds that are not normally released from uh other brewing strains yeah so we are um remind me what hops we're using today
0: Oh, I, I'll, I'll have to check the recipe sheet. I'm yeah, not yeah. sure. I maybe you don't I'll tell us anything. <laughs> We're only here for the
1: yeast. Um, I'm sure citrus in there yeah. somewhere. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm going to guess the half, right? Yeah. So a lot of people. I know have,
0: that we have used Idaho seven in I'm the mash to because Idaho it's high 7. in thiols. Yes. So yeah. that's
1: that's exactly. So maybe maybe that's what we use today. So like the at the moment the research is like a little bit uh, early days. So like um when you guys go to buy hops they usually give you information on the oils and various different uh flavor compounds and stuff yeah. like that Um at some point in the future they'll be giving information on like uh the theo precursors basically but we're still not there at the moment uh we are talking to the hop suppliers and uh you know yourself, a lot of work has to go in before mm-hmm. and with every harvest. So I think 2022 is unlikely to be a harvest that we will see a lot of um information on that year's crop. Um, in the European side, I know America are way ahead of us in this because they've had like GMO strains. Um, but uh, these tend to be the variety. So at the moment, we can't provide specific batches or years or crops. We can only really suggest that there's certain hop types that are very good, uh, that are packed full of these theop precursors. So, like, um, we've looked at different uh, uh, things, like, so, and like, they're actually not the hop. uh, Like, I know Ida 07 is a proprietary hop, so it tends to be more on the expensive side, but like, other hops that have these precursors tend to be, not as expensive as mm-hmm. other hops, so like you're looking at more traditional strains like Pearl, uh, Cascade, uh, Clixo, um, uh, etc. I'm a little bit blanking, no, no, as, no, no, no. You know, but um, like,
0: so what is the process that's going on there that because we're adding hops to the mash now, yes. which is not like necessarily what we would traditionally yeah. do, we generally go in at the Whirlpool, so yes, we're putting things into the mash to what's going on, what will we Increase trying to Increase the
1: amount of uh, precursor that's going yep. into the wort and then when the wort is, you know, it's going to go through your normal process and it's going to be boiled and then cooled down and then it's going to be fermented and the if we have a load of these theol precursors and say if we use like USO5, a lot of the flavor compounds won't come out in the beer. Mm-hmm. They, they'll just remain precursors. So like, I would say it's kind of like wasted potential almost. Like yes. So um, you have a load of these compounds that are basically like in every wash made up and down the country all over Europe. And then we're using yeast that don't produce certain enzymes. So these com- flavor compounds always are left behind. You know, they don't come true to the flavor of mm-hmm. the beer. So the idea with this yeast is that basically these compounds will be converted to thiols that are uh, are present in the aroma of the beer or the flavor of the beer, and this yeast works to unlock them. So we call the yeast hop unlock. So we're not that great name <laughs> in the yeast, but anyway, um, say what it is, man. Yeah, yeah, Make it yeah. simple. Yeah, yeah, hop unlock. So the idea is it releases new flavors not previously that you wouldn't normally get with the casket, with the with the different. So, like, say something like Cascade, everybody knows Cascade gives like a bit of a grapefruity flavor. But uh, if you use the Hop Unlock on it um, and you do some mash hopping and uh, like dry hopping and uh, whirlpooling, you get still get the grapefruit, but you might also get this like note of like white wine, which is kind of more like a Nelson yeah. note. Um, Now, I don't want to be like that guy that's like, oh, don't bother using Nelson, you can get Cascade now. But it is interesting because we have all these hops on the market that maybe have fallen a little bit out of favor. Or, you know, and like you look at like English hops or something along those lines, not like the top dog hops. And what you can say is like, I can look at the market and I can basically... I can use different hops to get different flavor compounds that I would normally not use. Or I mm-hmm. could look at reducing the amount of hops. i oh, sorry, I don't know what that's... No, no, now. no, it's, okay. it's the um I could
0: adventures. use those
1: hops to get flavors that I don't normally get in it. But I also could, uh, you know, get new flavors from all existing hops. Because the way the brewing industry works, it works a lot on like, um, well, you would know it more than me, but like contracting mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So like, It's not every day you can come in and be like, I want to use hop A, B, C, and D, right? You might have, you might be really, uh, you might be like contracted long on a certain hop. You're getting a bit bored of it. Um, And, you know, you don't want all your beers to start tasting the same because you might be releasing a speck. So you could use that same hop, but then you could use a different yeast and it will produce like a different, uh, like aroma from a different flavor, um, that's
0: really interesting Yeah, it feels like the only way to really gauge it I guess is to brew the same beer twice but one using the thiol yeast and exactly you know like you yeah. might speak to Matt about that <laughs> yeah well <that's laughs> just it. so you can see what the variations exactly, are you yeah on the and
1: then you have like well what happens if I use Cascade and another half like what's what's the difference you know like the different picture so like it's basically just opening new possibilities into the brewing industry
0: there is, to a degree, an economic um, reason as well, because I think we were supposed to, like... You're supposed to, like, dry hop less.
1: Yes. Right? yes. So, uh,
0: so, which, you know, dry hopping is the most expensive part of... Yeah, yeah. You know, Hopping your beers. Yeah. Uh,
1: um, yes. So we think that, basically, and we've done some work with yourselves, and we found that... Um, a, you can use less hops and still get the same punch. Yeah. That, it's not like, oh, I can just get away with no dry hop. But um, in these uncertain times, any um, every little helps, right? Mm-hmm. So if you could probably get away with maybe you reducing your hop usage, or maybe even if you didn't reduce your hop usage, but maybe you use like a different hop that's like... Um, not as expensive or one that's more available um, and you can get the same flavors out of it or different flavors that you like. It means then you have a little bit of pushback against the rising costs and Mm -hmm. you're doing a little bit of different play. You you know, like, Citra is great. Citra is a great hop but like, there's like, a lot of beers brewed in the country now with Citra. Like, so like, it doesn't really have a, you know, like, everybody knows that distinctive flavor So what about like less citra, more centennial or something like that where you're using a different yeast and then that means that it could kind of set you apart from other people and mm. also you can save a little bit on different hops. And uh, yeah, and it does actually seem to work quite well with like, you know, the way like the, with the extracts, you know, the... Um,
0: Spectrums and things exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, it seems to kind of elevate them a little bit Because a lot of people, you know, they might say, like, (laughs) they're a little bit less Mm multi-dimensional than, like, the hops themselves. But it seems to kind of elevate them a little bit as well. Like, a lot of, see, the lot of thing is it's it's all new stuff. So we're all learning. Like, we're learning (laughs) as you're learning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we just wait on feedback. So, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting it's times but, suit, and we, we, interesting. we won't know until we find out after you guys because we can only test them in the lab yeah I think then...
0: but but it's funny isn't it because I guess you, if you haven't got something to test it against yeah. sometimes you're just like well this is a grit, this tastes like a grit. because we've yeah. done it I think we've done two double IPAs using like a thiolized yeast strain yeah one of them we hopped at a normal rate and it was a really nice beer then another one we did which was all citra funnily enough yeah, yeah. Um, and that was really good and I'm just like, well, is that the yeast? Is that yeah, it? This yeah, is yeah, like yeah, what? Yeah. But it was, it was like the aroma and stuff was, was yeah. amazing. Okay, so we're we're kind of coming to an end here, but I feel like we're only at the start, which we is a little. To, <laughs> but you can but, have us back, yeah, because, absolutely. Uh, or we were maybe talking about a return leg
1: as well. Oh, yeah. To be decided.
0: Absolutely. It'd be so much fun to talk uh, more. We, we we don't have a brewery, but we can... You've got we, friends. We can borrow. <laughs> we can borrow. <laughs> um, okay. So a question I like to ask, like, brewers is generally, like, how you see the next five years for your business or, like, for for beer in general and this, that, and the other. But it feels like there's so much innovation going into to yeast technology and stuff. So how do you see the next five, ten years playing out? In the yeast market like what do you see innovation wise that could change the game or or just flavors or yeah any, anything the technology where where is it going
1: i think there'll be a move towards wet yeast away from dry yeast dry yeast um dry yeast was always seen uh, as you know like the more reliable uh better value yeast choice um whereas liquid yeast was always looked as more expensive and um, harder to get you know uh, a lot more expensive maybe five six times the price of mm-hmm. the dry yeast um i think the liquid yeast this year liquid yeast will be better priced than dry yeast uh and some of that is uh they don't, they have different processes and they have different ingredients, but the dried yeast, whatever way you look at it, it uses about five times more energy than liquid yeast. Mm-hmm. So from a sustainability point of view, it's, it. and with like energy prices that I know they've came down now, but like in November, they were very high. Um, so like going into 2023, we're looking at the prices of very yeast and we're pretty much saying that the liquid yeast is going to be the same price as the dried yeast. Amazing. And I think liquid yeast is going to continue. I wouldn't say it's going to fall, but I said the dried yeast prices are going to rise. So I think there'll definitely be a drive towards liquid yeast. Plus there's a lot of benefits with liquid yeast, including fermentation, flavor, esters, variety. And I aesthetic, think a- aesthetic. Yeah, like even you were saying. It's funny because we were talking about this before we came on and you were saying that the beers that were produced using liquid juice rather than dry juice they they looked more photogenic. Yeah. I've never even heard that before, but we're definitely going to use that <laughs> from now on. <laughs> no, um, I, I
0: yeah, cuz I'm looking at them all the time and when we we did get into it like down the road and then we've just got back into it up here and it's just a whole different yeah. look. And Like the, the hair stability is way better. Yeah, the the color is like slightly paler. Yeah, um, yeah. I think anyway.
1: I think the liquid yeast you'll find there's going to be massive steps on the shelf life, uh, making it more uh, easier to buy. Like similar to like dry yeast, you know, mm-hmm. like much more off the shelf. Um, and I also think that um, the performance will just be highlighted. I also think at some stage uh, there'll be a third option. So, like, if you're a baker at the moment, you can get dry yeast, liquid yeast, or fresh yeast. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, fresh yeast is like, uh, and it, distilleries get dry yeast, liquid yeast, and fresh yeast. Uh, for some reason, the powers that be in big yeast companies have decided that uh, the brewing industry does not want, uh, or so. What's the, the fresh
0: yeast very fresh yeast is probably. It's
1: probably the. It's probably like somewhere between the dried and the liquid yeast. So it hasn't, the thing with dried yeast is the drying is quite harsh. Mm-hmm. So it, it damages the viability of the cell. So usually dried yeast, the viability is about 70% yeah. uh, after drying. And then um, usually liquid yeast probably like 95, 96 would probably be realistic viability that's after it's shipping, coming to the brewery, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's produced at the time is probably like 99, mm-hmm. 100. Nothing's 100, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the fresh yeast, so dry yeast has, um, it has, uh, let me just think here. So uh, water percentage of about, I think it's about 6%, right? And liquid yeast is usually about 26%, whereas fresh yeast is, sorry sorry that doesn't make sense it's uh liquid yeast is 26% yeast the rest water and then dried yeast is 96% yeast rest water fresh yeast is somewhere in between but it's like compressed it's like like putty almost play-doh and and what that is it basically has the benefits of dried that it comes and it's more shelf stable it's less volume like you know the way the liquid yeast takes up a good bit of volume compared to like a dried brick um and it, it basically it's more shelf stable when it hasn't went through the drying process it's basically been like vacuum dried which mm-hmm. basically just means that there's a vacuum that pulls the water out of it it's not been dried you yeah. know uh, at like a high temperature so like when you're drying Yeast, it's at a like a relatively high temperature, like 40 degrees. Um, and then by very dry air, that's pulling yeast out of... Uh, pulling yeast, pulling water out of the yeast cell. Um, and the yeast doesn't like it. So like, there's some strains that handle the drying better than other strains. So I think fresh and liquid will be the best options. That's but really fresh good. isn't here yet. No. So that's the thing. But it's cool. Do you think it,
0: performance-wise it'll be similar or would fresh be the optimum fresh fresh would
1: be the similar to liquid yeast in terms of performance and viability but would have a longer shelf life okay
0: so it feels like
1: it's kind of like, the, it's, be, be, like- it's the best of <laughs> both <real>. so like <laughs> liquid yeast probably the main downfall is the shelf life uh we're actually working now on increasing the shelf life we're releasing a paper soon where we're basically uh kind of disputing some of the uh, things that people are saying you know like yeah. the liquid yeast has to be used within a week or two weeks or something yeah. like that when we it's different than when we produce it than when a brewery has it as like a byproduct of yeah. fermentation um but yeah the fresh yeast would be pretty nice it, it's it's pretty nice option for distilleries and um, and i feel like why shouldn't breweries be able to yeah busy, it feels you know? crazy that it
0: doesn't exist yeah, yet. Yeah. Right?
1: yeah you only heard of it five minutes ago five but now minutes you ago. To be, um, yeah i'm just like
0: That's really strange. Yeah, so I
1: think that'll come. So it's like a crumbled type thing. And I think we're going to be one of the, might be the first ones to market.
0: And I I guess the other thing that's happening, and we're running out of time now, but just yeast basically taking out all of the negative aspects, like diacetyl precursors and all that, that kind of stuff. I guess that kind of thing would be happening or production of sourness, but without... Yeah, THP, like, you know, like- exactly. And all that stuff's coming. So like we're looking at strains.
1: Uh, we slightly got a one hand behind the back because we're uh, under EU law. Yeah, the so UK use, are still yeah. running under EU law. Uh, most of the yeast we sell is in Europe um, and other countries that are non-GMO. But yeah, we're developing strains that like um, don't produce sulfur, don't produce the diastole precursors um you know uh more efficient strains less mm-hmm. fermentation time less conditioning time and um, so i think there'll be a lot of push towards flavor but there'll also be a big push towards optimization yeah which basically well like imagine
0: so like fermenting a beer out with a n- normal yeast strain similar to a kvai yeah. yeast. like that's the could be a week off yeah, the tank yeah. time or something like that or like if you're getting
1: more intense flavor profiles you don't have to use as much hops yeah or, you know that things like that we're really working towards and actually like sometimes we're looking at older strains
0: trying to revitalize older strains well uh, it takes us right back to the beginning yeah exactly. um oh thanks so much for your time no Bill. it's been real pleasure to talk to you and i like i say i feel like this is uh just beginning but we're reaching the end of the day so so we have to call it day here but uh thanks so much mate perfect Enjoy. thank you cheers for having us that's it another episode done i hope you enjoyed that one like i said at the beginning an hour really didn't feel like enough time to cover such a massive subject but i hope we maybe taught you something along the way or i learned loads from it i know that um yeah there's a lot to be excited about in the in the yeast world um so yeah thanks for listening uh, big shout out to tom coucher for producing this episode a massive thank you to philip for being such a hospitable guest and as ever stay thirsty